Hey, um, family, just want to encourage us right now. Um, first, I want to thank our, our crew for just leading us in song and being able to prepare our hearts in the Lord. Um, I can't remember the last time we actually thanked them after they've sung, and I just want to make sure that we, we are just very appreciative of God's grace uh, through them. Hey, uh, today, you know, what we usually do as a local community is we, uh, go, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, right now, we're in the book of Exodus, and we're actually entering into the first uh, few verses of God ushering in uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, but we, we wanted to uh, take a risk, and, and in our minds, actually not a risk. It just, to me, it's just the right thing to do as a leader, uh, considering all the issues that are going on today. Uh, in our country, obviously, uh, the scenarios of, of, uh, of black men being shot, uh, cops being, you know, killed in our country, uh, we think it would actually be irresponsible to go on as planned uh, and not, not process, especially in our context here, but not just in our context. I think as, as Christian leaders, I think we need to uh, make sure that we as a body of Christ are, are educating one another, uh, that, we're, that this is the space, if there's any space, uh, where we, we should be thinking about the reality of God telling us in Psalms that he says uh, our word is a, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so as we try to respond and think about what, what is a next step, what are we supposed to do, what are we supposed to say, how are we supposed to act, well, we get, that, we get those marching orders from the scriptures, and what better place uh, than the people of God congregating together. So with that said, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to talk about Exodus today. Uh, we're going to talk about those areas um, uh, that are that are very emotional and very intense areas of race in our country. Uh, we want to we want to process uh, discussing narratives, and our heart behind this is not just to have a town meeting. Uh, that's that's not just our deal. Although we want to make sure that we're expressing some feelings and things of that sort, but we also want to have a, a sense of education uh, for us to come and hopefully leave with a few uh, touch points where we go. Okay, I can I can leave here and and. And, and, and feel like I'm better equipped in how to respond in these areas, okay? So that's our attempt here. Uh, give me grace. I'll give your leadership grace. Let's give each other grace as we have this discussion. Uh, let's, let's provide a space where uh, we, can, we can be honest, where, we can, where I can share some hard things from up front. Can you give me that grace? And, and where we can um, trust the Lord uh, to hear from myself. And, and also there's a few individuals that I want to... Um, have share some insight that have really encouraged me in the last uh, couple of days in this area. So with that said, uh, we always pray and we always ask God's blessing uh, whenever we're up here because we know it's not about my voice or your voice, but it, we really are here to hear about, hear God. So uh, let's pray right now and just ask God uh, for nothing more special uh, than that reality of, of his grace in our life and just saying, Lord, would you just do what you do and that is pour out your grace uh, in an abundant, rich fashion. So everybody, bow your heads, please. Lord, we pray for that in this scenario as we talk about um, the tragedies that have happened. And, and as we look as a local body, well, what does it look like for us as a people of God to respond, to live in light of, of even as Megan was saying, our world being broken and, and not being broken as it's, it's there broken, but we are in the world as broken and we are part of, of the brokenness. And so we, we ask, Lord, would you meet us here? Speak to us, through us, bring healing in our hearts, bring unity and diversity. Um, we want you to be glorified. 
So we, yeah, we desperately ask for that. Pray that our pride and all that would subside, Lord. Give us the grace to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, can we just first, I just want to do a couple things. Uh, I just want to first pause and acknowledge. Um, I think a few maybe ground rules that we can do is, is acknowledge the tragedy of those who are dead because of the shootings. Can we acknowledge, uh, as my one sister put it, we had a, we had a meeting Friday, um, and it's meeting in prayer time at, at one of our elders' homes, and I thought one of, our, one of my friends had said, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what side you're on, it's tragic when people are murdered and killed, right? Um, so can we uh, just acknowledge that? And in my assessment, this is my own personal assessment, um, it is a tragedy also because it, it seems to happen on recordings, as it were, uh, disproportionately to people of color. And that's my assessment. Um, but whether you're convinced of that or not, let's all grieve the tragedy of, of someone losing their daddy or brother, you know, um, or friend. Um, can we also at the same time pause for the tragedy of police officers being killed? Can we all just... Just, just like, just realize that the response and the craziness of you know uh, leaders who are protecting us uh, getting getting killed for whatever reason is something that we don't uh, brush over, but should deeply hurt our hearts. All right. And with that being said, uh, what I want to do is I, I want to. Uh, just give a whole a, a biblical frame behind like uh, how we know we should respond and maybe share uh, what what the disconnect is and then I want to share a little bit about if we have here's the here's how we know we should respond which we all know what we should be doing <laughs> but we all, but I but to be a faithful pastor <laughs> we feel like, hey, I am still gonna put it up there just in case you know so at least I don't get in trouble by Jesus that I ain't tell you what you're supposed to be doing and then we're gonna talk about basically. Uh, what's the disconnect? Uh, why? Well, then, what, what's happening from a from an understanding of man, you know, anthropology, from an understanding of of good, healthy theology, and then uh, I want to share a little bit about um, the narratives and and how I think a huge ground rule for us as a people, uh, as far as one practical thing we can do is have a healthy narrative, and so I'm going to express that in a moment. And then we'll continue to hear some good insight from. Uh, individuals in our body will help us see how to recover a healthy narrative, probably by first seeing what our narratives are, our stories, and then seeing how do we recover a healthy uh, narrative. Here's some verses <clears throat> that I want to, one verse I want to pop up is Proverbs 31, 8, 9. I mean, we know this to be true. Can you throw up the verse, please? The scriptures read, open your mouth for the mute, right? For the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Um, this is nothing but a mere, I mean, it's not even, uh, there's so many verses in the scriptures, the framework of, of understanding how to care for those who are in the margins, those who, who uh, as it were, are in the power structures of today. Uh, you can look at this MacAv in your discipleship binder. We even have a, uh, we have a training on this as far as caring for the marginalized, right? So you can go to your binder, and there's, a, there's many passages that affirm and kind of try to help 
shape the reasoning behind why we'd have a passage like this. Um, but the reality is that I would say, um, as it were, God creates, you know, man. We have our audacity to think we can be our own guys. We sin. And then all of a sudden, just like that, we begin to find our identity, our, our, our intrinsic value, as it were, in all these other things other than the, the reason that God has said you should find your intrinsic value, right? The only reason you and I have, we should have value or we should find value in other people is because of the Imago Dei. Is that people, God created people. People are created in the image of God. God has made them intrinsically valuable because they're made in his image. And so, as it were, though, what we do is we find value because of how people's hair looks, right? And how much money they got. And if they're black or white or different ethnic group or whatever family background they come from. Or are you from this city or are you from this hood or that hood? Or can you, are you good at athletics? Or how smart are you? Or what, what school did you go to? What college are you going to? And we find value actually in people based on all these peripheral measures. And then God looks at us and goes, I did not ask you to find value in people with any of that stuff. But people are valuable. They have purpose, value, and worth because God is their creator, period, right? So that's the reality. And in this passage, uh, you see this theme all throughout Scripture. Why? I talk about this a lot. If you ever hear me talk to mission teams, it's because God is trying to, as it were, say that the world, the power structure, because that quickly, sin happens, we find our value in all these other things, and then now you have these two structures. You have the haves and the have-nots. And then the haves get to now decide on what's valuable in the world, right? And so, and that's why you can go throughout history, even with my kids, and you can see that there's been people groups who've always been in power and oppressing other people groups. I mean, for heaven's sake, even in history, you had Africans oppressing other people because that's how we are. When we, and when people get power, we go, well, now we have the power. We're going to tell you what's intrinsically value, and it's us, and it's not you. And then it switches and goes back and forth to different people groups and times and spaces, but that's how we are as a people. Well, God says when that happens and when that is happening in the world, what God desires to do is he wants to make sure that everybody here is, is heard, everybody has a mic. And so what God does in Scripture so much when he's speaking so much about the poor and the weak and the things we're supposed to do is because he's saying that the world has already muted them. They have no mic. They have no say-so. So if I don't speak for them, they will not be heard. So that's why you have in scripture, if you wonder, why does all this talk about caring for the poor and and all this stuff? The reason why is because if God does not speak for those who are in the margins, then nobody will. And then that's just a precursor. That's just a modeling for what he's telling you and me to do as the people of God. As I spoke for those who could not speak for themselves, now you are my mic. And so when you go to college and you make money and you have friends and you have pedigree and you have acumen and all these things, God says, take all that stuff and all those are little mics that you have so that when you have an opportunity and you see people hurt and wrong because of their color or because they're not, they're skinny or they're fat or they can't play football or because they can't run fast or any other thing, the ways we put people in margins, he says, they might not have a mic at that point, but you do speak for them. So this passage is really, family, just God 
It's this one, I mean, you, you see him throughout the scriptures, the whole canon. It's a theme of God reminding the kingdom people to be the kingdom people, remind the world that the creator has given everybody intrinsic value. It's not that he loves the poor more. It's not that he loves the mar- people in the margins more and has an issue with rich people. It's that he loves them the same. But we, as Uply Mobile folk, we already got mics. So God is asking us to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. So we understand this. I think we get this in our body. We have an, an exceptional body. I think we're on the same page here at some level. Continue to educate yourself and, and graft that into biblical conviction of the intrinsic value issue. Uh, but look at Romans 13. Um, here's another area I just want to remind us. If you're going, if maybe somebody had the thought, and just keep it real. You know, if you're a brother and you're tired of black folks getting shot, you're thinking the, the, the cops get shot, maybe you weren't, didn't grieve. And I just want to remind us, if you can turn to Romans 13, and there's many other verses in addition to Romans 13 uh, that says, Romans 13, please. Is that okay? Okay, it says, let me read it to you. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Don't miss that. For, for there is no authority except for God. And they're from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Okay, I just want to remind us of the people of God. Um, that bad and good authorities are authorities over you, and God is sovereign in that. Okay? Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgments. For rulers are not a terror to do, uh, not a terror to do good, to good conduct, but to bad. So they're here to deal with bad folks. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. That's verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So I just wanted to pause just briefly to make sure that we're on the same page. That, man, we have a, we have a fiduciary duty, as it were, as Christians to make sure that we are respecting and honoring and celebrating those who are actually uh, over us in authority. Okay? And I know there's a discussion, what if they're doing all these horrible things? It's another discussion. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page, that you have a duty as a believer to make sure that we're celebrating and encouraging those who are in authority and our hearts should actually break uh, for those who are being treated horribly in authority. So the question on the table I want to propose to you, I just already gave away uh, the Jews, is that you have that reality of what we should be about, which is clear. So the question is, why are we not about that? And I think it's an issue that we have to recover this reality that there's an intrinsic value issue. Is that for some reason, we as a people, we have forgotten that people have intrinsic value because God is creating them. That, that if we just simply say the Bible tells us to care for the poor and the Bible tells you to love, your, love the authorities, without the reality of one of the main reasons why we are, we are loving and we are, we are faithful to our neighbor, we care for our neighbor, being that God has created them, then it's mere duty. Does that make sense? It's mere duty. Without the undercurrent being that there's an intrinsic value. There's, it's not just God saying, do that. He's saying, but because I, God, has made them valuable. They are diamonds because of me. And so you can look at Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 18, uh, which discusses that a little further. Uh, it's a big verse, so I won't go into it. 
Uh, but what I love about it is it's talking about this concept of loving your neighbor. And you get to see all these different ways that God is asking the people of Israel to love the neighbor. And then you get to see the retelling of that story even in Matthew 22. And when you hear that love your neighbor talk, do you usually think of the Old Testament or the New? You probably think of the New Testament, right? You think of Jesus talking about love your neighbor as yourself. You think of these, why? Well, I'm going to propose to you the first century Jew when you say that. And they heard Jesus talk about love your neighbor. They thought about Leviticus. They remembered how God talked about that when, when God was forming his people. And that's what was convicting is that Jesus always did that to remind them that he acts and talks like God and does things that God does because he is God. Right? That's what, that's what Jesus was doing the whole time when he, did, when he plays those, those awesome godly games. And so my point in that is that you see Jesus making it really clear to the, to the Sadducees and the Pharisees that this whole concept of intrinsic value, they were missing. Right? When you're asking questions as if you're supposed to be able to choose who to love and who not to love, you already missed it. <laughs> because God, like I met everybody. Love your neighbor. So, with that said, here's, um, and I'm going to have, I'm going to s- stop in a moment, but I, you know, I, I want to share something that I think is really healthy and can get kind of messy. Uh, I want to share what seems to be what happens a lot when we're having these discussions and what happens a lot in media, which saddens me, but, but I want us as, as Christians to hopefully be equipped to not do this. Um, and to be more and be honest about our journey a little bit. And then I want to um, have you hear from your other pastor, Leon. Uh, and then I want to ask a few questions and get some insight from the people in the body. Uh, here's what happens a lot of times when we're having a discussion such as this. Um, and I want to I want to speak specifically to the issues that are that have happened. OK, so give me some grace here. And I'm going to be. I'm a, I'm a, my desire is not to be polarizing, but to share with you what happens when we are polarizing. Okay, you have, um, it's about to get hairy, y'all, so I'm just want to be, I'm just, I'm, I'm, yeah, you have the issue that happened in Baton Rouge, okay, um, is there a black one, I just want to make sure everybody can see it, uh, I, actually, Leon, you know what would be better, here you go, left, um, the green was brighter. Thank you, guys. Give me a little grace here as I figure this journey out. Uh, young brother, do me a favor. Hold this tight. Come on, hold this tight. Yep, I'm asking you to hold something. Come on up here. Yep. No, just stand back here. I need, the people need to see the board. There you go. You got to hold it tight because I'm about to draw. I'm about to draw on it, okay? You got it? See that? I don't want that to happen. You got it? Okay. All right. So, so what happens, you have... You have the issue, you have two sides on the issue. You'll have an issue where um, the, the guy gets shot, okay, and, and, and individuals will say things like, thank you, buddy, the black would be better. Let's try it. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to make a fair case. I thought, when I was reading the, the stories, individuals were saying, hey, uh, my, my, uh, my, this person was trying to, I want to say husband, but the person was trying to make a living for, for himself and his family. Um, is, that, is, that, is that fair? Okay. Uh, person. 
making a person making a living, or in the sense of all he was doing was trying to work and make some money and just do the right, you know, kind of making a living. Um, there's there's uh, the discussion of. Um, I think I think in this in this camp here, um, I heard an individ, I heard individuals. Uh, and this is this is not everybody, but saying things such as like uh, the people are trying to uh, murder us. Uh, I even saw the word genocide used at one point. Uh, very big language. Okay, so genocide, trying to make us extinct, uh, murder us. Um, right, and so, and then on this side, uh, there is, uh, the dude was a thug, right? I'm sorry? He should have listened. What was the other issue? I'm sorry? Copyright. Okay, so in the story is that he was like bootleg CDs, illegal actions. I'm sorry? Had a gun. Can someone give me a few more over here? Just one more over here, just to help me balance things out a little bit? But is it, okay, so we see these are very juxtaposed narratives, correct? Is that fair? Okay, so what, what usually happens um, is then we, as the people of God, and I, and I don't really care as much, I don't know how to talk to the unbeliever at this point, but I'm talking to the, the family of God. So we, as the family of God, find ourselves a lot of times choosing a side, right? But I propose to you that, that both narratives aren't, aren't holistic. I think both narratives have some, have some validation. There's some valid things in both narratives, if we're, I would say, if we're kind of honest. Um, so, for example, if I can bring the hard truth in the fact, you know, I was just saying that it's just, I, I, was, I propose that the, the, the reality isn't, I propose that, you know, when you hear this, then the goal a lot of times here is that every, every police officer not should just, because we all want justice, I think. Not just be just, but should go to each scenario and each person kind of the same way. That's what can be said. That's what it says sometimes. That in every scenario, hey, this is the, these are the rules. This is what you do. Okay? And then these guys here, um, the, the policemen, um, I, think the, I think the issue can be as far as a police officer is, is, is they feel unheard. Because, well, they feel like it's for them to give credence to the reality of justice and saying, yeah, we should, I should treat people fairly. I think the reaction is, I don't want to give any credence there, so I'm going to focus on they deserved it. Right? Is that fair? So you have one saying, hey, you should be going to each scenario just like this. Another one saying, well... I did, and these are just hard and criminal thugs. Versus, I want to propose if we're if I want to propose, and I'm, I'm going to say if we're honest, but I don't want to try to assume that I'm right. 
but I, I want to I be, it seems to me that, a, uh, that we all go into any scenario and we have to go into the scenario with, um, with a systemic training that's happened through our country, through our upbringing, through where we are. Does that make sense? And so, although we're saying to a police officer, hey, you need to go into these scenarios and you need to have an unbiased, unprejudiced framework, none of us, not just them, none of us operate like that. And what I mean by that is if I'm, if I'm a cop, right, and, and I get a call saying someone had a gun, now stay with me here, saying someone had a gun, and I know I'm going into, um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I know any Upley Mobile. I'm thinking about my friend who's a doctor, Bill Buckley, an African-American man, and he's driving an Acura MDX, you know, with factory rims. And they say there's a gun on the scene. I want to propose that although the, the cop might have some preconceived racial notions, they're probably not going to be as alarmed uh, going into Gross Point to attract that situation with an Upley Mobile dude then saying, hey, and the call is on Mac and Bewick uh, with blah, 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 blah. And then, the, and then the, the, the situation is a dude who got a gold grill, you know, already me mugging you, and you pull up. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's real. Okay, now I'm actually going to say that's actually, I'm going to say that's actually, I, I would hope, you know, in the second coming, we won't do that. So as wrong as it were, but I'm saying it's real. And I think for us to tell cops that you need to be unbiased and unprejudiced is this kind of naive. What, what I propose, I think more of a healthy narrative is that in your bias and prejudice, we need to have clear systems and rules that allow, right, that allow us to recognize that reality and allow us to protect young brothers to actually experience justice in the midst of those prejudices and biases. That makes sense? And so, so I, and so I feel like when we are not giving credence, so in the same way, so I feel like when we're not giving credence to any like these individuals aren't giving any credence to this, this reality. I feel like we're not hearing each other, and then there's no conversation had. And, and to me, I think we would all admit there's something that's very redemptive where when the story is where the, basically being on the Lord's side, where, where it seems that there's, there's good and bad, right? And so although I just shared how that cop is going to probably have a perceived conception at the same time, we would say, you shouldn't. This guy deserves justice, right? Deserves, like, love and mercy deserves to be treated fairly. And so we need to provide systems for that to happen. So I think, so I guess what I, what I want to, the, the takeaway here is that as a local community, when we're sharing a narrative, I've seen us a few times kind of share the narrative from this perspective or this perspective. And, and as Christians, it's very important not only for us to share a holistic narrative where we can, we, we, we can actually affirm the other side while still want to protect this brother from not getting murdered. We can, do, we can do both. And I think we have to train our community 
how to have those narratives in discussions as well. And so that they can see modeled in us that we don't get caught up in either or, but we really try to see and be very clear about justice, right, but all, right, and, and wrongdoing, while at the same time clear about culture and how all those things are messy. Does that make sense? Okay. So, uh, thank you, brother. Um, you can sit down. I know you. Thank you so much, brother. So, uh, we need... So, I feel like a path to a healthy narrative, as it were, is us keeping it real as a community. Now, what I want to do is I want to share then... Why are there why are there a few narratives? Why why is there uh, always like this like why is there this narrative and this narrative? Because I, I I always wonder why that's the case, and I felt like a brother um, shared something very insightful. I want to just get some insight from the local community. I'm put Justin on blast here. I want I want you to share a little bit about <clears throat> the last few generations and that concept of, of post racial Christianity, as it were. You mind, you mind sharing that a little bit? So I'm sharing, I'm asking a question, then how, how do you get to this point where you're so defensive, an individual is so defensive when you bring up, hey, it seems like this was unfair, you know, and then we start talking about the dude's credentials. Like, wh- why is that? Like, why does that happen? Uh, right? We, I think, so I want to I have uh, J- Justin to share in there. I just love you to share about post-Christianity and as far as... Uh, post-racial Christianity in your, in your framework of growing up? I'll, I'll try, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, maybe I'll just start by saying I think, I don't know if I'm, I'm the best spokesperson for this. I think I'm in a kind of a place of listening and, and learning right now, but um, so I, I guess in the same way that Eric asked for some grace, I asked for the same thing. Um, but we were talking on Friday night about how there's frustration with the white majority church in America and how it seems to be sort of tone deaf or uninterested in uh, a lot of the death, murder that's been taking place. Um, and the, the point that I kind of raise, and that this was more... I don't think this was so much a, a justification as just a kind of an, an explanation of like where I come from and what, what I grew up learning was that, uh, you know, I grew up in a very white and very Christian community. And, you know, we were taught about slavery and we were taught about racism um, really up, up through the civil rights movement. But we were also sort of taught that, that that's where it stopped and that's, that it was sort of over at that point give or take some fringe crazy people or just sort of like older people who still had sort of older perspectives. But you know, we were, we were sort, sort of taught that we were in this post-racial world. And I don't mean to use that word to say that we were taught to like see no difference between black or white or um, other ethnicities and races, but more as a way to say that, you know, we, we were taught uh, that everyone's equal and is created in, in God's image. I think the problem has been there's a difference between that ambition and, and the reality of that. And so I think, you know, as, uh, as really as Black Lives Matter has, has become more vocal and come together, as a lot of this stuff's been more broadcast, I think it's, it's been a bit of a slap in the face that 
that that isn't true, that, that we're not in a, in a post-racial world. I've, you'd think it would be um, like, oh, we're not. Okay, good. There, there it is. But it, it, it takes, it's taken me, and I think maybe it takes other people as well, some time to kind of unlearn some things and so, like soak in the perspective of people who are um, hurting or are angry. And I, like, I think from my testimony, I can say that I think the first impulse is to kind of deal with deal with those claims on a um, really logical level. Like, no, but um, I think just a lot of the, the kind of dumb stuff you hear online is sort of knee-jerk reactions, and it comes from a place of thinking, hey, that was a long time ago. It's not like that anymore. Uh, and I think, I mean, this this will sound kind of obvious, but I think... Being in a state of listening and, and soaking in different perspectives, I think, is creating a little bit of a new backdrop um, to hear that stuff. I don't, I don't know if that is. Very helpful. So just in a nutshell, I mean, I think that's very helpful just to hear. Uh, I know for me, I never really thought about the reality of, because of, that's a very different narrative from how I grew up. Of, of that, oh, it's, it's happened, but it's in the past. And just imagine if that's your framework, all of a sudden when that gets challenged, the systemic nature of that gets challenged when an African-American or someone says, man, there is issues with our country. And you're like, whoa, that's no, no, there's just a few people that are tripping. Um, and so that, that narrative is very different. I would, I would love for uh, one of our elders, you know, we were just sharing in this meeting Friday, and I just thought he had a good word on how our, the narrative of, and again, these are generalities, but in, in the, as, a, as a whole, I think, I think black folks would say our narrative is very different than that. Is from day one, we're taught race is past, present, and future thing. But I want to have Alvin share a little bit about that journey, if that's okay. Um, you know, as I was, you know, watching you break that down, I think, you know, for me, bringing a black narrative into this, it's the frustration is, to be honest with you, like, I believe the black narrative is that we're not this. You know what I'm saying? And I think... When you look at what Black Lives Matter and what a lot of um, uh, social justice leaders are trying to say is, and even in a black experience, it all comes down to we're not this. And so his record wasn't known when they came onto the scene. And so for the case of um, was uh, Alton, um, you can't even bring these things in the narrative because that was unknown. So strictly the narrative, so in the sense of like, and I'm kind of emotional, so I'm just trying to, um, like I feel the battle is us is in this realm. And sometimes I feel like when we present it this way is that, 50-50 where, um, and I know you don't, I know you don't. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll go. But here's the black narrative. I grew up with the realities that I was a black man in America. And so that reality shaped everything 
um, from my experience. It shaped the way that I saw religion because religion was um, this fight for liberation. Um, it, it shaped the way that I was affirmed in who I was because I had to be affirmed that I was a black man, but I had value and that there was um, um, that black is beautiful. I was uh, affirmed in the fact that, you know, um, you're not this. Um, but then also the reality of it is, is that there's a struggle and that struggle is us um, fighting for equality where America was singing uh, the Star Spangled Banner. We were learning lift every voice and sing. We were learning uh, we shall overcome. And so the reality of the history that we see is far more different than uh, the history that most uh, white Americans uh, grew up with. And so for me, when I see these type of police shootings, um, the frustration is, is one, that there's this, this, this ideal that we don't hold each other accountable. I grew up with the ideal of black unity. And what black unity is, is first, before we could get them to respect us, we must respect each other. That was one of the things that was taught to us, black accountability. And so the reality of it is, is when now when we, and so it's almost like we don't preach against any of these amongst the black community. Like we totally ignore this and this is all we do. Where in actuality, we hold each other accountable and there's this battle of trying to call for unity amongst each other, but at the same time saying white folks, yo, our black lives matter. And so for me, the frustration is always when it gets dismissed that we're trying to do both of these things. And so I would propose like African-Americans, we do bring a whole, for the most part, I believe that we bring a holistic narrative into the, our, uh, into the um, conversation, but because we're battling to not be viewed as this and battling to be treated uh, fairly, it gets lost. And so it begins to kind of be this back and forth where um, we have this and we have that. And I know that's not what you're saying, but the reality of it is, is that when I look at social media, that's my personal frustration uh, where I feel like we're not being heard and no one is even trying to like look at the whole narrative that's going on in the African-American community. So what I want to say, that I'm going to get back to you, too, on that, on how you share something about the whole 50-50 thing. So when you hear that, you hear the post, you know, racial reality, and, and I think we would affirm that makes sense. I mean, growing up as a, as a young black man, to me, that's what my narrative is. Uh, I thought you said it so well. I would just say that that's why I think you have the knee jerks in both camps, so, so whether the, how, like whose responsibility, more or less, I think that's why you have the two camps and you have individuals not hearing each other. Now, I would propose um, in that reality, I have now, I think the, the flaw is then in that reality, we think all voices should have the same volume. And I would propose that's where as, as a leader, 
I would say that's where it is a flaw, is just as I was trying to show the biblical model that when you have uh, a power structure, for whatever reason, whether it's malicious or just the way that by default, uh, and you begin to see oppression in different ways, I would say it's actually theologically important for those in the margins to have more of a mic, as it were, uh, than those in power. Uh, which then I would say is my point to, I think that's why, you know, when I'm having a discussion with my friend that happened with Trayvon Martin, the reason why I broke my heart was he was, he was appropriate in talking about the evidence and, and, and all the stuff about why the, the guy should have done a different charge against the man and that would have been better. And I said to him, the thing that makes me sad is that in this discussion, it would have done, it would have been the world to me if you would have paused and acknowledged that, man, I'm, I'm sad because a young black dude was shot. And we are, we're, we're arguing about the legalities and you never just gave me a hug, man, and just paused with me and mourned the struggle, you know? And that's where I would say the that we need to, I think when, when, when brothers and sisters realize, I would say that this voice, I would propose, uh, should be able to speak a little louder based on our history, uh, that we, we have a huge flaw um, in, our, in our system, and I think it's going to continue to be perpetuated. And that's why I think, I think to your point, Alvin, if I can speak to it, I think the, the solution is for us to recognize the whole narrative and know that we're not taking anything away from, away from giving a large voice here by acknowledging different aspects here that we could affirm and validate. And so all I'm saying is when we, when we validate nothing, we discredit everything here, whether it's true or not. And that's just how people argue. And so we can still leave and say, well, they just need to listen. But, man, I'm trying to get productivity, too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know, so I'm, how do we be productive in this, you know? So, and I want you to speak to that in a moment. I want to do uh, one quick thing. Is, is all this kind of making sense as we're sharing? Can I, uh, so thank you, Justin, for, for sharing. I think you did a wonderful job. I, I want to ask just as, you know, we're coming to community here. We're, we're intercultural, um, praise God. I would love to, to ask uh, the floor to be given to uh one of our one of our black leaders in, in our community. I would love to just ask, what do you want even white contemporaries in our setting right here to hear from your heart? I would love to give somebody give a few of us a floor. And we gotta keep it brief. Here. Good morning, everybody. If uh if I could just touch on this real briefly. E, let me borrow that real quick. I'm sorry, because a lot of you guys are talking, and you've never had any meaningful experience with the criminal justice system. And especially those of you who have young African-American children, let me break this down for you. This is always going to be the out. Now, whether it's the clothes that I have on or any contact that I've had with the law, this is always going to be the out. I have a bachelor's degree. But I had contact with the law back in 2007. I did after our parties when I was an undergraduate student. So uh, I was in a court, 
courtroom looked a lot like this. A lot of people with similar charges. Everybody walked away with probation on minor things like that. Because most of you would consider that small for a college kid. No, I was convicted as a felon. And even though I had, uh, was a seasoned, uh, you know, even though I have some experience, uh, a lot of skills, a lot of education, I've been unable to sustain gainful employment as a result. So if I was to have contact with the law today and there was to be a problem, they're going to say he was a felon. That's always going to be the out. He should have listened to your point. That's always going to be an issue because this has happened time and time and time again with the criminal justice system in terms of African-Americans being over-prosecuted. I had never had contact with the law before, never had contact with the law since. It's been almost 10 years now still struggling to find gainful employment because of one, one, one time having contact with the law. So should have listened? No, you don't want to listen because you can't trust law enforcement. They will tell you, cooperate with the authorities, do everything you can do. Don't say anything. That is so untrue. Their job, this is how they grow in their fields the way everyone wants to grow in their field. They want to prosecute you, enhance any illegal action. These are things that are on resumes. When you see people running for uh, sheriff and governor, that's the first thing they're going to say. We locked up this many people. We've handed out this many convictions. We're tough on law enforcement. So, no, you're not going to listen because you don't trust it. And you don't trust them. If you get in trouble, don't say anything. It doesn't, you can't trust it. Illegal action is always going to be uh, exaggerated. It's going to be exaggerated. That's their job. I fought this case. I fought this case. I fought this case for several years until I ran out of money. The illegal action was exaggerated. And what was told to me is we have more resources than you could ever produce. You're going to say you did this. Even though we ran in your house and said, you're selling drugs. And I said, no, I'm not. They couldn't prove it, but they said, you wasted so many of our time, so much of our time, so much of our resources. We're going to come up with 12 felony counts. And we're going to continue to prosecute them for them until you admit the one. Which one is expungible? I, I, can't, I can't continue to fight. I don't have the resources. Okay. We're going to convict you for uh, keeping the house of prostitution. So my record to this day. So we are going to exaggerate the illegal action. So <clears throat> these are the type of things that happen. No, that's fine. That's fine. But if, if I was to have contact with the Lord today, and Lord knows... I will protect. I have two boys and a, a daughter who's at Michigan State University right now. I will protect them with my life from common thugs or law enforcement thugs. There are a lot of them out there, I promise you. They'll always go back, and you guys will see my face, details at 11, and you know it's going to be the first argument. He's a thug. I'm not going to even respond to it because I, I want us to, just to hear our journey. I mean, I've known, we've known Damon since we planted the local church here, and I think it's uh, fair for him to be heard. So thank you for sharing, brother. Um, let's see. Let me ask uh, white, one of our white brothers and sisters, what would you want to have heard from your heart 
to your contemporaries in here. Anybody want to share? So this is a tough topic for me. Because <laughs> I raise boys and girls who obviously are mixed. Um, and it breaks your heart to experience that oppression to see I don't I don't experience it at all and I can't even say I understand it because I don't um, but to see it is heartbreaking to experience it is heartbreaking and I never ever understood it um, till I met Charles and had experiences alongside him um, that just crush you and I think the biggest thing for me is is back to like I grew up thinking slavery was done like we didn't we didn't treat you know black people any differently but at the same time all the black people in my town lived across the tracks they lived in the heights and so there was pure separation but I didn't I didn't realize that I didn't understand that till later and so I think the biggest thing, and the other thing is the media. Like, I remember as a kid always seeing black people on the screen. It was always black men that were causing the crime in the city. That was, that was my only understanding. Um, and I don't think my parents at the time had, you know, we didn't talk about it in the family. It wasn't one way or the other. It was just not talked about at all. And so today, I think the biggest thing I would say is I have learned so, so, so much through my husband. Like, you have to be willing to talk these things out with somebody that you trust. Like, please, if you are white, if you are any other race, like, talk to one another. Learn about cultures. Learn about these things. My husband has confronted me on things I never realized were anything that would be hurtful but he was like why do you always call black men that black gentleman and for me it was like well I'm trying like because I feel like they need more respect because the world doesn't give them that and he's like but that's you're you're still doing the same thing but I thought that was like I thought that was like the respectful thing and and it wasn't at all and so it, I've learned I've grown so much we've cried together like be willing to go go into those places and those conversations because that's, I feel like, where I've learned so much and feel like, you know, it, it, if you don't go there, if you're not having those conversations, you're not, you're not doing anything to help. You really aren't. There's, yeah. Thank you for that. Hey, and I'm, uh, we're not going to have, I'm going to uh, take away the, our response time. I want to just, I want us to hear from, uh, Pastor Leon, and then I want to um, get a few more because this, this is an important topic. So, uh, again, give me give us grace. So I had a few different like points of training and teaching that I was excited to share, but I think it's probably best if I share just a little bit of my a, a little testimony. Uh, so when I first got married to Rebecca, I'm raised from a family that's like really loud. We get hype over everything. What's up? You know, like that's, that's just how we engage. So I get married to my wife. And when we were talking like that, she feels like threatened. Like, why are you yelling at me? What, what, what's up here? Like, I thought we were talking about food and you're getting excited. What's up? So I learned like to calm down. And, 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 and shortly like before I married her, the Holy Spirit kind of placed in me like, you need to have an awareness of how people view you. So most of you 
have engaged with me in a really calm manner. I've learned that over time with black and white people. With my black people, I'm really a calm guy. Why? Because when I talk like this and I kick it like this with my black people, they can't turn it back down. So when it's time to chill or when we're in a disagreement and I'm thinking that we're bringing some closure, they're like, no, you started. Well, we're going to keep it going. I'm like, man, I should just be calm. And with my white people, when I'm excited and I got energy, it produces fear in them. Because I'm a tall, black man. And so in all of my interactions with people throughout my life, I've almost become a different person. And my family knows 16-year-old Lyle Lee, but they now see 38-year-old composed Leon. And I've seen the Holy Spirit use it, use it in great ways. But, But what hurts is when I look at these videos and it's like, Leon, your calmness at times doesn't matter. Your calmness of what you're trying to portray to your children can still lead to death. That's what breaks a lot of people's heart. And that's what, that's the heart that I want to see break for all people, black and white. Yes, are there times, should the person roll up? Are there times where there's justified responses by police to kill a person? I think so. Black or white. I think there are times when the police are justified to respond. But would you agree that there are times that there is a concept called police brutality, which means that above the normal measure of of serving and protecting, someone enforces uh, their authority in a way that is unjust. And all I want as a black person is for my brothers and sisters who fight this fight with me not to necessarily say this is what we need to do. Not necessarily to say these are the three steps, because I know maybe you, like me, at times feel helpless on how to change everything. We get that. But do you acknowledge that there's a problem? Do you identify that this brutality takes place at times? Now we can discuss the different times in which it happens, because each case is different. Yet at the same time, we can find themes But will you acknowledge that it exists? And I think pastor's trying to get to, man, in order to acknowledge that it exists, you feel like you have to agree with everything. I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement because the movement has a liberation theology where we want to fight for women in a way that I think is unjust. We want to fight for the transgendered in a way that I think is unjust. Do I want to fight for people? I do. I don't agree with the movement's approach. But do I agree that black lives in and of themselves matter? I do. So pastor's trying to say, can you be a person that's discerning? And as a white person, when you say black lives matter and your friends say, well, wait, what do you mean by that? Then you have a chance to educate. And as a black person, when you say, hey, I believe and support white cops and your friends say, well, what do you mean by that? Now you have a chance to educate. I'm going to pass the mic before I cry. (laughs) Love you, man. Thank you, brother. Uh, 
That was a good word. Uh, I, I saw a few hands. I want to, again, one second, I want to get my one sister here. Um, Hi. I just want to, just as a quick response to what Leanne said, there's a really great article on the Gospel Coalition about whether the Black Lives Matter movement is like the new civil rights, um, or the civil rights movement of our era, and it's a really good, like, gospel approach to it, so I would recommend, if you're interested, just checking that out. Um, I think, yeah, I was going to talk about just the whole all lives matter um, thing, as well as just the fact that, um, man, this tragedy started, like, long before this week, um, and part of what grieves my heart is that the media attention, some, some of my friends on Facebook are popping up after police in Dallas were killed, um, but not over the past four years when black men and women have been killed or, um, yeah, just things have occurred in our country um, that just show the brokenness um, of the world that exists specifically for black and brown lives. Um, and to acknowledge it only now um, just feels like we're, like, late to the party. Um, so I just, like, I had written a couple of things down. Um, but I just think, like, um, we, we send young black children to broken schools that um, are equipped with books that are the same as third world countries. And we live in the most powerful country in the, the world. And that's, like, a, that's a broken existence for black children. Um, we live in... Um, a state where a city of children were poisoned and there were almost no repercussions for those who made the decisions behind it. And that communicates to black people that their lives don't matter. Um, we live in a city that really, for all intents and purposes, like the democratic process was taken away um, and financial management really only happens in black and brown majority of cities. It doesn't happen where I grew up. And whether you agree with it or not, or whether it was good for the city or not, what that communicates to black lives is that they don't matter. And so I think, like, whether or not we agree with all of the movement, like Leon said, um, as white people and as members of the church, um, which is a church of reconciliation and forgiveness, um, it's our duty to be voices for that and to mourn with those who mourn. Um, I think, like, if I had one recommendation, I would say, like, acknowledging... Um, the pain of the black community that started long before this week um, is like one of our primary roles as Christians. Because it's past our time, let me run up here real quick. Um, I hope we heard that. It's a really good word. Uh, a, lot, a lot more we can share, and we can continue the discussion. Uh, man, if we need to, we can continue in my backyard. That's what's up. Um, I want to I end with just saying, uh, as we talk about some some, some clear next steps, um, that yeah, yeah, we should the first we should educate ourselves on our our city's police conduct policy um, and uh, review that process. You can just do a Google search and see what the process is. Uh, you know to make sure. And when you see the holes in it, we can. Uh, I think it was who was, who was in our meeting and was talking about just some of the legal things that we can do. I thought it was just very helpful. Uh, the, yeah, the end. Yeah, and just was like. Uh, that we that we can we can actually uh, really try to address some of those issues, pressuring our mayor, uh, our city council to address the gaps in the process. Because uh, in my mind, I, 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 we agree with Damon. I mean, your narrative, man. I mean, it, just, it breaks my heart, you know. And 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 what I'm saying is because the reality that we have 
that system of thinking. I mean, at the end of the day, can I just share? I mean, we all get this, but I don't know, just make it public, even as you shared. Black folks aren't surprised that black folks getting killed like this, right? This is, we've been knowing it before. This has always happened, probably more, actually, is that now we can film it, okay? So don't, yeah, this, they, they've been killing black folks like this, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, since the founding of the country. I mean, I mean, it was even more graphic. I'm just keeping it real. Um, but this is now, is this, this crazy that, you know, it, it, leaves, it ends up on live feed. Um, so uh, with, that, with that said, we know that this is an issue. And I want to share that um, learn our rights about recording things. I just think that's a, a really cool thing, too. And, and for our specific community, I, want to, I, I think this whole issue of narrative is very important, is, is that is in, in recognizing that you got, you, you got is a jacked-up system. I think that's what we want to – there's a jacked-up system, uh, but within that, how do we share a narrative where we don't have to say, well, if I give a person any validation or credence in their argument, that it dispels my own. That just hinders conversation, uh, and it hinders, I think, productivity. And so I think we can educate people in our communities, in your spheres of influence, because especially my white brothers and sisters here, uh, when you go back to your families or you hang out with your friends or our mission team, you're going back to the church. I mean, there's an opportunity for you to redemptively help people understand uh, the nuances of this conversation, uh, where you can, you can receive insight and hear what you agree with and, and give validation to it, right? And at the same time, clearly talk about the systemic issues in our country. And I think we'll be heard about the systemic issues if, we, if, we're, if we're keeping it real on some of the issues that just make sense. Um, and then specifically to our community, uh, I want to share that there is, we're in a special community. And so to our parents and to you as individuals who you're around our kids and we're doing life together, I think there's a, there's a stewardship issue here. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we're, we're, in, a, we're in an environment where where our kids, uh, I mean, we're, you're, we're, we're, we're in an interracial church. And so, I feel, if I can be as blunt, uh, some, of our, some of my white brothers and sisters are in suburban areas without a lot of black folks, without a lot of very homogeneous in their structure. And they don't have, to, they don't have the urgency to have this discussion, to be in a narrative of, of learning how to talk about race and, and socioeconomic realities and how to deal with people across difference and loving across difference and unity and diversity. Although they still should be having a discussion because it's a gospel discussion, there's not as much of an urgency because everybody looks like you. Um, and you should be having that discussion. But I feel like it's a big danger when we have our white brothers and sisters who are stakeholders in our community and they're still handling the approach of race and socioeconomic as if they live way out in a homogeneous area. Does that make sense? You shouldn't. Your kids shouldn't be surprised. And I feel like the narrative of race and culture and those things, I mean, we, we just, it's just a, you just, it's a, it's a higher stewardship. Sorry. It's like me as a, as a pastor, you know, I, it's a higher stewardship. I can't just wild out and start yelling at people for no reason. Even when I want to sometimes. It's just, if you want to do that, don't be a pastor. You know what I'm saying? And so there's a stewardship issue, there's a stewardship issue of coming to a local body like this where, where we have to be educating our kids, be on a journey, and single people, all of us, because you're, you're, we're doing life together. And so um, 
questions and, and innocent questions, those are all cool. But let's make sure we're on a journey where we're intentionally, where we're not letting the world form the questions our kids are asking. Right? And we're not letting our kids discover race with each other. That's not, no, not in this environment because this is a heterogeneous, we're, we're, we're different people. And so we got to, as parents, you know, like you don't let the world teach your kids about homosexuality or you shouldn't, right? We, we need to be teaching that. So I think the narrative needs to be a little more, it needs to be intentional in this body uh, because of the stewardship component that comes with being in a community that's intercultural. Does that make sense? Um, a lot of information. Uh, I'm going to praise God right now. And what we will do, we'll continue to worship God in responding, um, in communion, in tithing offering. And then we're going to head out, guys. We're going we're to close us in prayer. Really thankful for giving us extra time. I know there's a lot of wise, awesome people that I want to actually hear from. And I'm open to continuing the discussion if we need to. Uh, but I just want to respect uh, the rest of our afternoon. So real quick, if you are uh, new to our body, what we're doing right now is we're doing a time of communion.